Welcome back to The Talk, the podcast about changing the world from Nordea private banking. I'm Walter Neslund, and in this final episode of the season, I bring you an interview that I recorded in Copenhagen last year, and I've saved for a special episode like this one. My guest today is a Danish entrepreneur and investor with at least 13 companies on his CV. He holds an MBA from MIT. He's been a global partner and managing director of Rocket Internet, managing director at Groupon Asia Pacific, and is now managing and founding partner at Nova Founders Capital. He's a hugely inspiring guy who gave me a ton of new energy to go out and want to be a better entrepreneur, and I hope he's going to do the same for you. Mads is a busy guy and hard to pin down for a long conversation like this one. So I managed to catch him in the middle of a conference and we couldn't find a silent room. So you may hear some voices in the background, but I think you'll find that to be completely worth it. And at least I did. And this is my interview with Mads Farholt Jürgensen. Hi. Hi. How are you? Fantastic. And, and what's your name? My name is Mads Farholt Jürgensen. That's great because pronouncing foreign names in English is very difficult. So I'm <laughs> glad you did it for me. And my parents gave me two last names, so it's extra complicated. I, I recently had Deloitte wrote wrote a wrote a book on how to build relationships, and they wrote an article on me in there. And in, in a matter of I think 20 lines, they managed to spell my name wrong three times, <laughs> <laughs> three different ways. By the way, wow, that's creative. So, what are you doing to uh, change the world? I'm, I'm I'm trying to build products and services that people like. I think I have this fundamental, and you can call it capitalistic belief, that if people give me money, it's because I provide value for them. So if, if you want to pay $100 for something, it's because it at least creates $100 of value for you as a person. Now, you may or may not agree that that person is making a rational decision. Now, in reality, we're making decisions out of emotions most of the time. In fact, all decisions are probably emotion. But I build products and services that people want to give me money for. And if they want to give me money for it, that's the way I create value in this world. Right. So, and um, I read up on you a little bit, and I saw that you have a quite impressive CV there. Thank you. Tell me a little bit about your background. Um, so, I'm, I was I was born in Denmark, um, and if we go all the way back, my parents are sort of mid-income people. Mom is a social counselor. Dad was a journalist. Um, split up. Um, I had no business in my parents' sort of background, but at the same time, they were always very open to trying new things in their lives. They changed careers a couple of times. Even though they had great paying jobs or decently paying jobs, they decided to quit that and start over and sometimes take huge risks. My dad went out and, and wrote a book and, you know, tried to be a theater director and everything else. Um, but I, I, was, I was always interested in how you can trade and create products and services that people want to have. And um, during that time, um, I was a horrible student in school. Um, the only reason why I ended up going to university was not because my grades were for it. A, there was no grade average for the education needed for the education that I decided to apply for in university. And the second thing was to apply, you only had to press a button. If you had to do more than pressing a button, I would never apply to university. But I ended up going to university. I was very lucky. So I, I tried to finish it faster than others. I've always tried to do things a bit different. And so I, I, I finished my bachelor's in a year and nine months. And at the same time as I did that, I, I worked full-time um, coaching a group of salespeople, about 50 salespeople in a company called Viasat. Um, which taught me how to sell and how to lead people. Um, and it was very intense time. So it was two years of university at the same time, plus a full-time job at Viasat. Um, so it was, but it was very fun. And then I, I was lucky enough to get into an MBA at MIT in, in, in Boston. So I went there, spent two years in Boston in the MBA. I was 21 when I started, 23 when I graduated. 
Then I went to a consulting business called McKinsey in Switzerland. And from there, I had a quick stint at a company called ProSiebens at Eins, which was the biggest media company at the time in, in, uh, in Europe, I believe, um, owning TV stations in about 14 countries at the time. And I, I, I was very uh, mesmerized by an incredible CEO, Thomas Abeling, who was the CEO at the time. He was going in to do a turnaround. It was a company that was um, bought by a prop, couple of private equity funds. They had bought at a share price of 27 and it was trading at half a dollar. So um, it was about to go bankrupt. And so I wanted to go in and be part of that journey. And I, I was. But then I just kept wanting to be an entrepreneur. While I was at McKinsey, I started an online hair products uh, website, um, trading, selling into Denmark. I was working for, in Switzerland, but I was, I, was, I was making more money on that hair products website in about half an hour of work a day than I was at McKinsey working 80 hours a week. Um, so I kept coming back to this thing. I wanted to be an entrepreneur. And so I ended up <clears throat> becoming an intrapreneur, so meaning an entrepreneur in a business, um, by working at Groupon, which um, was a de- daily deal site. So it was one of these places where you can buy vouchers. So I was about 25 years old. I ended up running Asia with about 3,500 people. Um, incredible time. Really, really loved it. And, you know, one of the things I've learned since is it's much easier to run a business with 3,500 people than it is to run a business with 10 people or one person. And the reason for that is when you have 3,500 people, you can hire really smart people for every task. So that worked super well for me. I'm, I'm not a particularly skilled person, so I need great people around me to, su- to succeed. Um, and then Groupon IPO, and I went to um, one of the owners was a, a German uh, incubator called uh, Rocket Internet, where we built a bunch of companies. Um, Salando is one of those companies that was built in Rocket. And I just went around the world and built companies for those guys. And in 2012, I decided to set up my own shop. And I've, I've, I've started about 13 companies since. Um, 13 uh, companies? Yeah, something like wow. that, yeah. Um, and um, in all sorts of spaces. I spend all my time focused on financial comparison, um, um, how to help people get um, transparency in financial products. And I spend all my time on helping um, 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 people get access to point-of-sale finance. And that's the, the primary part of what I've done, but I've, I've managed to plant some seeds around that to, to start some other businesses. Are you based in uh, Copenhagen? I'm based in London. In London, So okay. I haven't lived in Denmark since I was 21. I'm 34 today. But you, you come from here, and you know a lot about the entrepreneurial space here, I would imagine, then. Um, I, I, I try to. I try to come here. I try to build companies here. I think the opportunity is amazing in Denmark, and I think the opportunity is amazing in Scandinavia, Northern Europe as a whole. Um, so I try to spend time here, yes. Yeah, and, and what do you think? If you look at the, the Nordic uh, scene, you know, seeing it from the outside, seeing it from London, uh, what's, what would you say is specific for the Nordic uh, scene and, and, and the Den- Danish scene in particular? So I think, I think as a whole, I think the attractiveness for me is, um, it, and it depends on what lens you have. If you have the lens of an entrepreneur, I think the attractiveness is um, very, very, very smart people. I mean, not just, I don't mean education-wise, I just mean foundationally the way that people are brought up by their parents is with a lot of freedom, a lot of expectations for handling that freedom for their kids. But that means that you get very strong independent thinkers who can actually come up with ideas and can actually think for themselves and take responsibility not only for their own lives, but for the lives of the people around them and the company they work at. Um, I think we are um, very good in things that require knowledge as well because we are well-educated on top. I think anything that requires that education level, anything that requires knowledge is very is very strong here. And... Um, I think on the flip side, and that depends a little bit on the country, but also the opportunity is we're not super entrepreneurial in Denmark. I think the Swedes are much better. I don't know enough about the Norwegians. Um, But I think that's also sometimes good because I think that if you are an entrepreneur and you want to hire great people, 
you know, there's a chance to come in and tell someone, look, you don't have to be an entrepreneur yourself, but what you can do is to come and work with me and we can build a company together and I'll take a little bit more risk than you take, but I'll let you be part of that journey with equity and with the fun of everything that comes with building a company. And then I think, you know, depending on the country and situation, I, I do think we have, we're sometimes challenged in work hours. I think the Germans are much harder working in terms of pure hours than, than, than we are on, and I'm, I'm over-exaggerating or sort of generalizing a bit here, but if you look at it as a whole, but I think the the smarts that you have here and the independent thinking is just just is what makes us fantastic. Yeah, and and Denmark in particular. Then, if you look at Denmark in within the Nordics, if you put together a team of Nordic people, yeah. what would the Danish be I th- doing? I, th- I think the Danes are more direct. Um, again, my 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 contrast is more to the Swedes than this to the Norwegians. But I think we're more direct. I think we're a little bit more of a trading nation historically, which you can feel we're a bit tougher negotiators in some of the ways that we act. I think those are the two primary things. And I think the third thing is obviously we have a much better sense of humor. <laughs> yeah, that's obvious. <laughs> yeah, I, I was in Finland and in Finland they told me that you know if we put together a team, we would be doing the work and creating the <laughs> products. The Swedes would be the marketing team and oh, yeah. the Danish would be selling it. That sounds probably pretty good. Yeah. yeah. And and yeah, so that's that's where where are the Norwegians yeah, in all this? Well, I don't know. They they kept saying that they would be financing. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say no. <laughs> but that's not fair. But, but to be it. not, it's not fair at all. I mean, yeah. they have built some incredible um companies in, in Norway, absolutely yeah. outstanding. And I think the Norwegians have a toughness around them, but a gentle toughness that I just love that yeah. you that exists in Norway. I think it exists in Finland to some degree. I think it exists in Iceland and the Faroe Islands. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't I haven't been on this road trip to Norway yet, so I yeah. guess I'll find out. But I I just love how they kind of live their lives close to nature, and you know, the, and how just and I think they have a great sense of humor as well. But I think you find in in the societies where you've had to survive, and you know, I'm including Finland and as I said, Iceland, uh, sorry, I'm including uh, Faroe Islands and Iceland in that. I think you find two things. One is you have to be kind to your neighbor, right? It doesn't, you're not going to survive if you don't get along with your neighbor. So first of all, you have an incredible friendliness and incredible amount of ethics usually. The second thing that you have is you have a toughness because you have to survive the rough nature that exists. You have to survive the snow, the hardship of, well, well, if you, I was just in the Faroe Islands uh, last uh, last week. And, you know, if you have to survive in the Faroe Islands, the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, basically, I mean, it's crazy. Yeah. But if you do that on your own, that doesn't work. So I think here we're a bit more trading. We're a bit more used to being stuck to Germany, and so we can we can we can be we can be unfriendly to our neighbor. Whereas I think in Norway you just can't. In your career, it's been a pre- pretty nice career, I would say. How do you, how do you feel about it so far? By the way, well, I I, th- I think anyone who has the fortune that I have had so far don't feel like they've done particularly well. I think most people are what we would call in popular terms insecure of achievers, right? Insecure of achievers are people who never think they do well enough and therefore they end up doing exceptionally well. Right. I wouldn't say I've done exceptionally well. In fact, I wouldn't even consider myself in the bucket of people doing well. And I guess that's for someone else to judge. I, I don't think about the 13 companies that I have. I think about the 13 companies I haven't built. Right. Um, I think about everything we haven't done. I think about every problem that we have that we haven't fixed, every wrong hire that I've done. That's what I focus all of my time and energy on. So I'm never proud, actually. That's I'm, a common answer, actually. Yeah. A lot of people say that. And they, they are also, it's a hard time for them. I have two questions that I always try to ask people. Like when, One of them is, and is, when was it tough? That's usually very easy to answer. And the other one is, when did you think it was great? And that's usually very hard to answer because people are like, I don't know, I, I never celebrated that. I just went on to the next problem, you know. <laughs> I was you know, six months ahead of my staff. And But when to you, when, do you have one of those magical moments when you just felt that I, everything I th- is great? I thought when I sold the first business for 100 million kroner, a uh, business that I started a few years before, two or three, three years before that, and, you know, I 
thought I was going to celebrate it. I was super sad. Like it wasn't, it wasn't a great day. It was a terrible day because I said goodbye to all the friends. And of course I could see them privately if I want to, but it's so difficult to see people when you're as busy as, as we are. And so I went from working with my best friends to not working with them anymore. I went from a business that I was proud of building to just being this thing that was just out there that I had no relationship to anymore. And so I feel like, and I know this is so cliche, but things are usually cliche for a reason. You got to enjoy the ride. You got to enjoy every day getting there. And I haven't always been good at that. I think for the last 12 months, I think I've been much, much better at that. The times that I am the most proud is when our companies work together and I'm not involved. I am super proud because that is really when we've created an ecosystem. I'm proud when people are telling other people that they really love to work with us that they want to be part of this journey. I'm so proud that somebody just grabbed me before our talk and said, look, I'm thinking about quitting my ma master's. I want to be part of this journey with you. How can I come and work with you on this? That makes me super proud. Somebody's willing to quit their master's degree just to come and work with, with us. I mean, that 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 feels amazing. That yeah. means like you've really created not just a product or service you're selling, but an internal product and service with the people that you work with. Yeah, I think it's very much a, a point of proof when, you know, when that happens, when you kind of become privately independent of chasing money yeah in a way you know at least to survive then that then you get your purpose in life gets put to the test what are your reasons now that we remove the point system you know but i i you know money has never has never been a driver for me whatsoever like one of the clear things that i can say that with certainty is um when you when i work for companies i've always been horrible expense claims like i have left so much money on the table from expense claims that I've never done from companies that they should have paid me these things. I've just never filled them out because that's not what interests me. Like when I was working at Rocket Internet, I think I, I, I picked up my salary check once a year. I was fortunate enough to earn enough every year that I could sustain the whole year for it. But I, I never, I had to, you know, I had a small company, so I sent an invoice and I, I just, like, it just wasn't interesting for me to get the money. What really interests me, and it took me a long time to learn, is to build something that people are proud of being part of. And I got to tell you, I didn't know this until a year ago. Like for the last many years, I've been a horrible, I have to be careful, I don't curse here. I've been a horrible <laughs> boss. I've been a horrible leader. I have managed people in ways that I would never do again. And I've, you know, I've made the mistakes of, you know, yelling at people in the past. This is fortunately many years ago now, but I've, you know, micro-optimized situations. I've done so many things as a leader wrong. And I'm finally in a place today, and I can tell you this after, you know, after 34 years, where I'm really proud of the way that we handle people today. But that's for the first time. And the correlation between how I manage people and how I lead people and who I am as a person is for the first time in my life today, 100% aligned. It's 100% aligned. And it's never been that way before because I had role models in my life that weren't particularly good in treating people well. And I worshiped those guys and therefore I copied their way of acting. And I'm not going to put it on them. It was my own mistake. But it just took me such a long time to learn the way I was operating wasn't aligned with who I am as a person. And I think that's so important when you build a business is to build a culture and a way of working that is really who you are, not how somebody else is. I've also for many years tried to be a CEO in a way that I think a CEO should be rather than the way that I'm the best CEO. For example, I am horrible at having a Monday morning meeting every Monday at 8 o'clock, another one at 8.30, another one at 9. I think good CEO should be that way. So I tried to be that person for a long time, but I was miserable and I wouldn't show up for the third meeting and, you know, all those things. I always have excuses. Now I'm trying to be the CEO in the way that I can play myself in the best possible position. Yeah, that's what Hunter S. Thompson has an advice. When he was 21, he wrote a letter to a friend where he said that you should not try to, but the, the friend was asking life advice, you know, what should I do? He said, you should not be thinking about what you should do 
you should be thinking about the lifestyle you want to lead. Yes. And that's kind of the same thing here. You know, funny story is when I met Thomas Abeling, who was had just become the CEO of Poseidon at that point in time, and he said to me, Mass, where do you see yourself in five years? I told him, look, Thomas, I can't tell you the job. I can't tell you the company. I can't tell you what the company does. I can't tell you the industry. But what I can tell you is how it feels. Right. I can tell you how I feel every day. I can tell you some of the things that will make me feel that way. That was all I knew. And it's so funny because I was you know, 24, 23, and looking back, it was probably one of the smartest moments of my life because it was so true. So many people are caring about, look, I should be investment bank. I should be consultant. I should be this and that. How do you want to feel? And what situations in your life has actually made you feel that way? You know, one of the things we spend a lot of time on is trying to understand human beings. We spend a lot of time on it. We do, um, um, we do very good psychometric tests or personality tests with people, neurological tests with people when they want to join us. It's one of the best ways that we've found to understand people better. And one of the things I find so often is I meet somebody who's been working in auditing for, say, eight years. And you look at their personality profile and in about a split second, you can see that they should never be doing accounting. They should never be doing auditing. And you look at the person and you say, look, I can see from this, you must hate your job. And the guy looks at me and says, yeah, you're absolutely right. But my dad was an auditor and, you know, he said it was a really good career. But now that's why I'm here. <laughs> And I just think that's so sad. Like, you've yeah. got to love what you do, and I don't care what you're doing, but you have to love. And I know it's so cliche, but it's about, and, and I think it's, it's dangerous nowadays in university because there are certain brands, McKinsey, where I worked, Goldman Sachs, et cetera, which are so entrained in that if you are a good student and you get high grades, you have to go and work for BCG, McKinsey, Deloitte, Goldman Sachs. And for some people, that's the right decision. But for other people who just get high grades, they just think they have to do that even though they don't like it. Yeah, it's like when you meet people who say, well, I'm either going to become a doctor or an engineer. It's like, well. Yeah. Uh, those things are very different. <laughs> oh, com completely. Yeah. And I just I just interviewed a guy and he was born in India. He's, he yeah. studied microbiology because you know his parents had studied something similar and he ended up as a sales guy. He's like, yeah. I never wanted to do that. But you know, that was, I was a smart kid and that's what I was supposed to do. Exactly. Because that's what smart thing, kids do. That's what they have in common. It requires high grades. That's exactly. it. Exactly. You know? And I, it, was, you know, it was funny. I was talking about this guy who was wanting to quit his master's before. I was, I was talking to another person who has also been part of the student founders program that we've created. And you know, he has... has he said exactly the same thing. He said, look, before I created this company with you, I wanted to work, go and work in investment banking. And I've just realized that's not for me at all. But he's been thinking that his, in the last four years of his education. But I think now that we have this short time, I've managed to grab you while you're on the run. I kind of caught you mid-flight going to New York. <laughs> you know, It's perfect. And I think some of the advice, some of the ideas you have when you're 21, I mean, are better than the ones you have now. But some ideas, some things you actually learn and get better at. And... Looking back, what advice, if you can give me just three pieces of short advice now, like what three things do you think is like great advice either to you as a 21-year-old or to me or to any entrepreneur? So the first thing is understand what your talents are. It's really important. Research shows from about the time you're 25, your talents are fixed. That means you can't really change them anymore. How do talents work? Talents works the following way. Low talents, things you're bad at, can get better, but they don't never will never get to excellence and they will, for the time you invest, not get much better. So it's a bad investment. If you spend your time on your top talents, you can get excellence and you can get much better return on your time. The problem is university, our parents, everything around us works the opposite way. It works that we should be good at everything. We can't have things we're not good at. You have to be good at accounting. You have to be good at pic picture, small picture, analytical skills, sales skills, everything. 
The problem is you'll never be excellent with that. I usually use the analogy and say, the way that education in most of our family and friends situation works is like Cristiano Ronaldo, probably one of the best football players in the world, showing up, you know, to his coach, to coach in practice. And the coach goes, Cristiano, you know, you're a great striker, attacker. But today, you're going to be a goalkeeper because you're not a very good goalkeeper. Yeah. Right? And you would never get a world-class football player out of that. So why do we work that way in school? Why do we work that way in um, in jobs? And I understand that everybody needs a certain minimum quality of skills across the spectrum. So I get in early schools. But as we get later and later in those schools, start to accept that people are different. Start to accept that we're going to get excellence from people by them becoming really good at something rather than being a little bit good at many things. So that's the first and most important thing. Become, you know, accept what you're great at and become excellent at it. The second thing is, I think, and I think this is particular to young people nowadays, you got to put in the hours. Like, and, and I don't just mean like somebody who works, you know, 18 hours a day gets twice as much out of somebody who works nine hours a day. They get much more than twice as much out because of something called compounding. So what is compounding? Compounding is what made Warren Buffett the richest man in the world. Compounding is the idea of interest on interest, right? So Warren Buffett basically became the richest man in the world by investing a million dollars at 19.4% return for 63 years. That's what makes you the richest man in the world. doesn't require more than 19.4% return for 63 years and a million dollars. The same goes on knowledge. So if somebody works twice as much as the other person, it's like the difference between getting 10% interest and 20% interest. As that compounds, as you get interest and interest, that person becomes so much smarter. So in particular in the early part of your career, you got to put in the hours. And then the third thing is you got to love what you do. Like nowadays, I think many people are like, well, I can't work all this much. I got to have work-life balance. Well, you only need that if you don't love your job. Like if, you, if, you're, if your work-life balance is my work is as much fun as my spare time, why have work-life balance? Why not just put in the hours and grind it out? So you got to enjoy every second that you do, or at least 90% of every second. You got to have a lot of fun. And then most importantly, you got to do it with people that you love, you know, because what else do we want to do but spend our time with the people that we love? So one of the things I love about what I do is when I have problems, I'm just doing it with people that I love. I'm just friends hanging out, solving problems. When I have good days, I'm friends having fun solving problems, right? I'm partying with friends. So you know, work with friends, work really hard, love what you do, and then work on your talents, not your non-talents. That's excellent advice. That was actually four. And yeah, I know. Three, but but you know. that's fine. We got one bonus. Yeah. So mm. I'm just so glad I managed to capture you mid-flight here. And uh, I hope you get a great flight to New York. Thank and, you so much. Uh, thank you for meeting me and I'll see you soon. Perfect. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to this first season of The Talk. I hope you've learned as much as I have and are now full of new inspiration to go out and change the world for the better. While these may be tough times in many ways, they're also full of opportunities for someone with an idea and the drive to turn it into a reality. And I hope that someone might be you. Have a great summer and I look forward to seeing you soon again in the new season of The Talk a podcast about changing the world from Nordea Private Banking.